You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. It's good to see everyone here today on this. I guess we should call it a, a Valentine weekend, right? And uh, here we are to, uh, to, to emphasize prayerfully at some point some relationship, uh, some true love, what, what love really is. And I'm excited not necessarily to preach a Valentine's message, but to just, I don't think by chance, but by sovereign chance, if you will, by God's will, we're speaking uh, this morning in this series of messages, uh, something that I think is, though it's hard to preach in a sense, hard to teach, the message is clearly connected uh, to what we're celebrating this week. So, uh, if you need a worship guide, would you raise your hand and these great ushers will make sure everyone gets one of these. So just kind of keep it up high enough where they can see it and I'll, I'll talk while they're getting that last little errand done. All right. We're in a series where we're calling the wanderer home. Come back home. We're calling this come back home. In fact, so many of uh, the songs that we've been singing have had something to say about come. Come back. Uh, in fact, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O oh sinner, come home. And everything that we've been teaching has been flowing out of a passage of Scripture that is so powerful. Found in James chapter 5. And we're going to do that kind of a review on that verse again and try to make sure we all get connected. Because if you get connected to this verse, you're in. You're in for the duration of the message. James chapter 5 and verse 19 says, My brothers, so James here says to us, My brothers, my sisters, the King James uses the word brethren, my brethren. So, so we, we see a cry here to brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says with passion, Brothers, brothers, hey, listen up. If anyone among you wanders from the truth, if anybody's sitting in your pews or somebody that used to be sitting in your pews or somebody that, that used to go to church or used to be in the ministry or, or used to be in, 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 in close, the close-knit part of your family, if they wander from the truth and someone brings them back, let that person know. Please let them know that whoever brings them back a sinner from his wandering will save a soul from death, will cover a multitude of sins. It's almost as if James is pleading and begging for people who call themselves Christians to do what people who call themselves Christians are supposed to do. And that is to spend our lives calling the wanderer home. Now, how often do we focus on that? How many of these do we have on our prayer list? Could it be that someone has actually, as was prayed a moment ago, wandered into the building this morning that is looking <clears throat> to connect again with Christ? It's interesting, at the 9 o'clock service, there was one lone man sitting all by himself, the back row. He was there when I walked in at 8.30. He was sitting just all by himself. And I went back there, and it took me a while, actually. I saw him back there, and... and and again, you know, it's amazing how we can ignore something for so long. Even the pastor. I mean, I saw him back there, but I didn't. And finally I said, what are you doing, Eric? Get back there and talk to this guy. You know, it's all himself. You don't even recognize him. So I went back there and, and I said, hey, man, glad you're here. And hate, hate for you to sit on the back row. It's the first service. It's a little bit smaller. You ought to come on up here. Let me introduce you to somebody. I got Joel Suarez. And I said, hey, Joel, I want you to meet this this young man, and, and he's 21 years old, and he'd been in some trouble this week, talked about some alcohol-related issues in his life, and and just, just said, look, I, I need to come back to church. I said, well, look on the screen. Look what I'm preaching. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about coming back. He said, well, I'm one of those that needs to come back. Sitting in the service, just all by himself. Probably just... Just all he needs is just somebody to say, okay, we love you. Okay, you belong. Okay, who cares about the preacher's preaching? It does. At the end of the day, it's going to be the fact that you got somebody that's, that, that's cheering you on, you know. 
and I wonder today how many of those <clears throat> are in this town that, that you and I have been, been blessed to come in contact with or be a part of their lives and, and they're still wandering. Now, this morning will not be easy. It'll not be easy because the message this morning is about a man in Scripture who wandered away from God's calling in his life into sensual sins. Man, I'm not looking forward to this. Who in the right mind, what preacher would, would, would wake up Sunday morning and say, yes, I get to preach on sensual sins this morning. Everybody's going to walk. You know, when you get to tell a bunch of funny jokes and stories. Honestly, there's nothing funny about the whole sermon. How do, how do you... I mean, if you've read Judges 14, 15, and 16, it's not like there's a lot to laugh about. It's a train wreck. The whole thing is a train wreck. Here's a guy born into a family that, that was not even supposed to have children. I mean, he was born a miracle. A miracle. Yet God, 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 uh, God has God's calling on his life. And then at the end of the story in chapter 16, he dies with his eyes gouged out in prison. And so, I, I got to be honest and say, of all the messages in the series, this is probably the one I was least looking forward. And yet, I believe God can use it to help us. I think God's already used it to help me. And so let's begin with a good definition of the word sensual. The word sensual means pertaining to, inclined to, or preoccupied with the gratification of my body. Let's finish the definition off by saying it's the pursuit of that which pleases my senses. Sensual senses. It's, it has to do with gratifying my senses, pleasing my senses. The sensual person is the person who is consumed with indulging their own desires. Here's a person who is only concerned with, with his own desires. Now, lest, lest we get, lest we excuse ourselves from the message, it does include sexual sins, but it's not only sexual sins. There are other things that can consume us. And so let me quickly, just by way of introduction, give you five areas that we struggle with, people struggle with, not to be conquered by desire. Let's start off with one that's obvious and we've all probably dealt with, food. Amen? You could laugh right there at least because that might be the last time you laugh. Food. I'm a foodie. I struggle. Man, listen, uh, you know, it, it, they say that 30% of Americans struggle with obesity. I mean, it's, it's, it's and, and those that don't struggle with it too. We just try, we're trying our best to... To not let it get to us and so many health issues and things that we're concerned about. And food can be something that becomes a problem in our lives because it reigns sometimes above other things and, or above someone. What about entertainment? Americans spent last year $24 billion on renting DVDs. Can you imagine if for one year America could just say this, like, Everybody, like lost and saved and just everybody in all the world. Because everybody in the world would love to see people not hungry, right? And there's a lot of starving people in the world. So I got a great idea. Let's all, just for one year. It's no big deal. One year. We can all do it for one year. Let's not rent DVDs. For one year. And we can send $24 billion to feed the hungry. That's not going to happen. Because I can assure you, <laughs> entertainment consumes our nation. One in seven Americans have an internet addiction and they spend 30 hours a week on the internet. The average person watches 142 hours of television per month. It's like I have my job and then I have my other job. Like I work and then I have another job called couch sitting where I watch television for 142 hours a week. It's the average person in our church. Or a month, I'm sorry. Entertainment. Let's write this down. Legal substances. Let's, let's start light. Ready? Coffee. Amen? Hey, I'm going to promise you. Whew, 
It's legal, but it sure is addictive. Amen. Whew. Hey, I want to be confessed that before I read my Bible, I'm drinking coffee. <laughs> and I'll make the same excuse you do. Well, it helps me, and it does. And caffeine has an effect in my life as well as maybe yours. And, and, and so I understand that, that that's one that we sometimes can push aside and, and excuse. But as much as it costs to get a cup of coffee at Starbucks, we might as well address it, right? But then let's talk about another legal substance called alcohol. Shredding the fabric of our society without question. No one would argue with that. Alcohol significantly amplifies every social evil. You drill down into incest, you find alcohol. You drill down into spousal abuse, you'll find alcohol. You drill down into murder, reasons for it, you'll find alcohol. I think if you drill down into the life of Samson in a moment, you'll find alcohol. Alcohol turns the volume up on evil. Turns it up every time. And then what about illegal substances? Cocaine, heroin, meth, marijuana, painkillers. I mean, it's just this morning. In fact, when you get home, you can see for yourself. If you go to foxnews.com, right on the front page will be this stat. Recently, the, the last two years... The average life expectancy in America has go, gone down and they, they trace it back to oxycodone. People are dying by the dozens in America because of this, this painkiller, I guess. Am I saying it right? Oxycodone? Is that how you say it? And it's, it's, it's a, or oxycotton. Oxycotton. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It's a, the whole news, I mean, it's like a massive part of the news today. And then immorality. Sexual sins. It is our focus this morning, without question. It's the life of Samson. Less and less people consider anything abnormal or perverse when it comes to sexual sins. I mean, it's almost come to the place where we're just not shocked anymore. There's nothing that really moves us or stirs us. I mean, if you watch, you know, television, you know, it looks like it's just normal to be involved in homosexual sins or... Uh, you know, cohabitation or, I mean, these, these things that, that, that we used to really see as moral issues are really no longer discussed. An increasing number of Americans think that adultery and homosexuality and pornography are just normally accepted behaviors. It's not a big deal. In fact, there might be a handful of people in this room that are thinking, I cannot believe, you know, he's even talking about this issue. I mean, this is a non-issue. And that's sad. Sensuality in our culture is out of control. And I'd like to go ahead and build a foundation for the rest of my thoughts with 1 Corinthians in chapter number 6 and verse 12. That all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought. Focus on that. Focus on that statement. I will not be brought under the power of any. So as long as I have a desire for anything that's, and it's reigning in my life, I'm not controlled by God. If anything is controlling me other than God, I'm not controlled by God. Therefore, I am, and I admit I am at times a sensual person. When something is reigning in my life. When's the last time we expressed our love for God? About five minutes ago when we sang... I'm wide awake, drawing closer by grace, and all my heart is yours, all fear removed. I breathe you in, I lean into your love. Oh, your love. Your love so deep is washing over me, your face. I wonder if I meant it. I sang it. Your face is all I seek. You are my everything. Jesus Christ, you are my one desire. (sighs) Something to think about. And so I, I get your attention this morning just so I can share with you a few things that we learned from the life of Samson. This message this morning really is for that humble person because... 
If there's arrogance, I won't get anywhere with you. Thanks for coming, and I hope that at some point you can connect, but it really requires humility to connect to a message like this. It's for the humble heart that wants more of the good things that God offers and less of the nasty things that consume us but never really deliver what they promise. And trust me, sin always makes promises it can't keep. And so let's dive into the life of Samson. Remember Samson took a Nazarite vow? It's an Old Testament thing. And before you get real excited about it, oh yeah, yeah, I was thinking about taking that one time. Don't do that. (laughs) Stop for just a moment. You see, really, by taking a Nazarite vow, this Old Testament vow was a... Uh, when a person took this vow, they were, they were saying they were going to be totally devoted to God. 100%. My one desire is going to be God. But in reality, all of us should take that vow. It's called today the Lordship of Christ. We sang about it in the song, Oh, Come to the Altar. You see, He should be Lord of all. Doesn't mean He is, but He should be. But back in the Old Testament, it was called a Nazarite vow. This is what it was called. There were some specific things that you did when you took this vow. The first thing you did was you said, I'm going to abstain from all wine and strong drink. To be totally focused and dedicated to God, I will not drink any form of alcohol. And it's amazing to me, whenever you see that in Scripture, you always see that commitment made. Always. You never see the person in Scripture where they are dedicating themselves to God and where it does not include abstaining from wine and strong drink. And it didn't with the Nazarite vow either. The Nazarite vow uh, included never allowing yourself to touch a dead corpse. The Nazarite vow included that you would not cut your hair. You can see I I probably am not going to have a problem dealing with that one. Now, sadly, as we get into the life of Samson, we're going to find out that his life really did not belong to God. Samson's life belonged to Samson. Let's jump in. Judges chapter 14 and verse 1. And it says here that Samson went down to Timnah. And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, let's just stop there for just a moment. And and let's think about this. Where is this Timnah? And Who are these Philistines? Well, they're enemies of God. So Samson goes down to this place he should not have gone to get a woman that he had no business getting. This is an enemy of the the Israelites. They hated each other. They wanted to kill each other. This would be like me sending my daughter Chloe to go get an Al-Qaeda member to marry. Hey, guys, come to the wedding. Chloe's marrying a terrorist. Yeah, exactly. We should be laughing. Samson, are you serious? You're going down to Timnah, to the Philistines, to get a woman? This makes no sense. But oftentimes, when we involve ourselves in sensual sins, it makes no sense. So I'm going to give you five traits of the sensual Wanderer. We'll learn them all from Samson. And we'll begin with this one. Number one in your notes. Sensual wanderers have no respect. They have no respect. Notice in verse 2 as he goes to this place called Timnah. And he goes to get one of these daughters from the Philistines. It says, then he came up and he told his father and mother. I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now go get her for me. This is how wanderers are. It's how they talk, you know. Go get her. I want this. Can't talk any sense to Samson. Wait a minute. Are you serious? You, you, what are you talking about? You took an Azurite vow. That doesn't matter. They have no respect. What is the definition of respect? It's to esteem. A person or value worthy of honor. Respect. To esteem someone. Well, let's, let, let me ask you something. Do you... Do you feel like Samson had any respect for God here? Number one, Samson had no respect for God. He wasn't esteeming God. He wasn't valuing his upbringing. He had no respect for the vow he had made to God. The lordship of Jesus Christ was not something he was considering as he was making this decision to go down and get him a Philistine woman. Samson had no respect for God's law. God, God's law would have, would have said and will say often throughout these next three chapters that, that, that that's something you should not do. But it didn't matter to Samson. 
was caught up in this thing. He had no respect for the calling that God had placed on his life. One of the things that I understand about the calling God has placed on my life is there are things that I I have no business doing. If I'm going to be a pastor of a church, I don't need to think that for for some reason, because of this position and and, and, and it goes to my head and becomes, instead of a position, it becomes power. And then I begin to to act as if I can become a dictator and do what I want to do. and, 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 And I'm the pastor. And Samson had no respect for that calling in his life. He knew what was forbidden, and he wanted what was forbidden, and nothing was going to stop him from getting it. Samson had no respect for his parents. I mean, who talks like that to your parents? Go get me her. Mom and Dad, I want this. Go get this. No respect. And what's sad is you see the story unfold is mom and dad, like so many mom and dads with children that are rebelling and wandering, they just enable their kids. Okay. I don't want them to leave. I don't want to make sure they're okay. He had no respect. And there's a way to handle that without losing your temper. But I can assure you, if Coley comes to me and says, I want to marry somebody from Al-Qaeda, we're going to have a talk. It's not going to, okay, I'll get the plane ticket. Hope it all works out. I know that sounds silly. Of course, Chloe's saying, Dad, you won't even let me date. What do you mean Al-Qaeda? Samson had no respect for himself. I guess in a way he did because he only wanted to satisfy a sensual self. (laughs) But if you really think about it, someone who is involved in sensual sins does not respect the body that God's given him. You know, marriage is honorable, the bed undefiled. I'm going to be very careful. I'm always careful in how I talk about sex and sexual sins in a crowd of mainly adults and people that can handle the conversation. But I'm always cautious. I think Scripture teaches to be cautious. In fact, when Scripture talks about these things, it's so beautiful, it's never graphic. Scripture's never graphic. I love that about the Bible. And I don't want to be that way either as I talk about this at all. And I, and I will not be that way. But in the life of Samson, you can see he's obviously making choices. And he's not respecting the body that God's given him. And And in marriage, marriage is a beautiful thing. And inside the bounds of marriage, sex is a gift. But outside, it's sin. And that's just the Bible. And that's kind of what we preach here. And it's kind of what we're going to preach for a long time. (laughs) So we have to talk about it, don't we? Don't you think it's okay okay to talk about these things? Because it's going to be the difference between the next generation and our nation and, and, and what happens in our culture. And so let me give you the second one. Sensual wanders are controlled by appetite. They're controlled not by God, not by his word, but by what they want, by their appetite. Notice in verse 8 of chapter 14. Anyway, we're going to be going quickly through these passages to end on time. But notice it says, after some days, he returned to take her. It's interesting, isn't it? He comes back and he says, okay, now I'm going to take her. It doesn't say he wooed her. It doesn't say he was going to win her affection. It mentioned, doesn't mention he's going to go talk to her mom and dad and see if they can date. It, just, it doesn't say that he's going to ask her or invite her. Because the sensual wanderer always sees people as things. They're just things. They're not people. I don't really care about them the chick. I'm just going to sleep with her. I mean, that's kind of what I do. I mean, one of these days I'll settle down, but until then, I just want what I want. And this is kind of the attitude of the wanderer. The sensual wanderer hears only one voice. The voice of their own appetite. You want that. Okay, I'll get it. That's all they hear. They don't hear the pastor. They don't hear God's voice. They're not hearing the... Spirit of God saying that's wrong. They're just hearing what they want. What I need to feed my sensual self. In verse 8 and verse 9 of our text in this first chapter, it goes on to say, and I'll read the rest of the text here. And after some days, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Now remember, he took a vow not to touch the carcass of a dead animal. Everybody remember that? That's part of the Nazarite vow. But notice what he does here. 
he returns aside to, to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. So he scraped it out. I think he touched it. He scraped it into his hands. And he went on, eating it as he went. He even give, gave some to his father and his mother, and they ate. He didn't tell them where he got it, so he defiled them as well. And by the way, the central wanderer doesn't care who he hurts. It's just about himself. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. He was dishonest. He didn't tell the truth. So question, why did God's law not stop Samson? Because sensual people do not deny their appetite. They feed their appetite. They don't deny it. They feed it. They do what they want. Number three, sensual wanderers become oblivious to the impact their choices are making. They just don't see it. They don't see the damage that's being done. They're not rational because they want what they want. It ruins all of their reason. I mean, nothing really makes sense. They want their sin, and yet they want their health. They want their sin, but they want their marriage. They, they, they want their sin, but they want the ministry. I've got some people in my profession. They, they want to do a lot of really bad stuff, but they still want to preach. And then some people let them preach. Like the next week. It's like adultery, I'm sorry, preaching the next Sunday against adultery. I don't get it. So I, I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning. In fact, if you come to the end of chapter 15, you're going to find that this whole story in chapter 15, and I'm, I'm not going to read 14 to 15. We're going to move to 16 in just a minute because there's just so much here. And I encourage you, you've got a small group to discuss more than I'm talking about today about the life of Samson because it really is a series of messages in one. But you come to the end of chapter 15 and some really crazy thing happens. He like kills a thousand Philistines with, the, with this jawbone of a donkey. It's like ravaging. It's like he just kills them all. Like they're laying everywhere. Blood, guts, everything. It's disgusting. I mean, can you imagine a thousand dead bodies all around you? And I'm not going to cheer that today. I'm just going to say there's a lot of people that hurt. And, and I, I, Samson just went crazy, killed all these people. And then what's really weird is at the end of it, he just says, I'm thirsty, God, give me a drink. Senses again. He wants what he wants. He just wants a drink. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that scene is worth more than just, I'm thirsty? Get me some Gatorade? But this, this is the sensual wonder. All the damage that gets done, carnage is laying everywhere, and he's oblivious to it. He just wants a drink. Sensual wanderers have no respect. They're controlled by the appetite. They're oblivious to the damage. Number four, sensual wanderers, they grow worse and they get weaker. You see, let me tell you something I know about the sensual wanderer. If you're wandering from God into some sort of sensuality, it's worse than it was two months ago and you know it. You know it is. And if you continue in your sin two months from now, it's going to be worse than it is today. Because it gets worse. And as it gets worse, you get weaker. It's just the way it works. And you see this in the life of Samson. It doesn't get better. It just keeps getting worse. And as it gets worse, Samson gets weaker. What I find that sometimes we, we tend to do is when we fall into sin and wander away from God, we try to manage our sin, you know, manage it, hide it. I mean, you know, got the mouse clicking on stuff we shouldn't be watching. We hear the door open, click. ESPN. We manage it. It's okay. I'm good. I'm good. Hey, honey, how are you? <laughs> What's for dinner? We're doing good. And we manage our sin until our sin starts managing us. See, it gets worse. We get weaker. And what we used to control now controls us. Because sin is a pleasure. And while it's a pleasure, we can manage it. But eventually, that pleasure ends and it begins to manage us. And we see that in the life of Samson. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16 as I really kind of come to the close of the message here today. And it'll take me a little while to close, so don't get too excited. But I will end on time. Samson went to Gaza 
And there he saw a prostitute. It's getting worse. And the Bible says he went into her. And again, it's not graphic, but I think all of us here today know what that means. He saw, he went, he wanted, he took, he felt, he got. What sensual wanderers do. They get what they want. So he sees this prostitute. He goes into her, and the Gazites were told, Samson has come here. This is the weirdest little passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it, and you just, I don't even understand why, why, why Samson, what, what he's doing here. It's like crazy. And the Gazites told Samson, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the Light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bars and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Why? What's that all about? That's all we know. He just woke up and grabbed a couple of posts off the doors, taking them to the top of the hill and sets them there. Again, Samson, quit being silly. You're a clown, Samson. This is stupid. What are you doing? You're just doing whatever you want to do. If it feels good, you do it. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be sensual immorality. It could just be showing off your strength. I mean, you're out of control, Samson. You're not doing anything with any wisdom at all. That's kind of what I see there because that's all we really know about that whole event. But Scripture records it, and I'm kind of thinking when I get to heaven, I'm going to say... What was up with that thing at the gate of the city when he just tore the post out and threw him on top of the... Was it like a Hulk thing? Just After that, he loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek. So he gets done with the prostitute. Remember, she's just a thing. She was somebody's daughter. So just discard her. Now we're on to the next one. But this one's Delilah. So what's this one? This is the, the last one. The last one. So it goes on to Delilah. And the Bible says here that the lords of the Philistines came to her. And, and here's what they say. They say, Delilah, seduce him. And see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver, Delilah. So she says to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. So she's seducing him while she's doing this. I mean, she's coming at him. And again, there's no graphic wording here, but, but I think you understand what seduce means. So then they start playing this cat and mouse game, right? I mean, for the next several verses, it's like, you know, okay, you know, you, you show me this and I'll show you this. If you tell me this, I'll tell you this. If you do this, I'll do this. They start playing around with their strengths and what they have to offer. You see, men who use their strengths to manipulate and intimidate women are wicked. Let me say that again. Men who use their strength to manipulate and intimidate women are wicked. But just as true is this, women who use sex to control and convince men are also wicked. And so can I say a word to maybe some of our innocents here today, just maybe someone who is not yet married or someone who is looking to be involved in a relationship and you're determining boundaries right now. Mark my words, and this may be the most important thing I say to everyone single and, 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 and praying about their future. Women who catch their men through sensual ensnarement end up married to a sensual person. So when you allow sex to be part of how you get him, when you allow physical contact to become a part of how you ensnare him, then get ready. You're going to deal with that the rest of your life. And someone else will accomplish what you did after you're married. And it'll be a battle. So be careful about, about who, who you and how you pursue. So these are important things. These are things we need to learn. 
So here's the cat and mouse game. It gets interesting. Ready? Verse 7. Samson says to her, Well, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried. And she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in the inner chamber. And so she says to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson! And he snaps the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. She's slightly ticked. She doesn't like how he's playing. So Delilah says to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And I'm sure she had the eye thing going and the seduced thing going. Come on, Samson, tell me. Please come on. Well, it's new ropes. That's what it is. If you get some new ropes and tie me up, then that takes my strength. And so she got new ropes and she tied him and she yelled, Samson, the Philistines are coming. And he breaks the ropes. But guess what he's doing? He's weakening. Because sensual wanderers, they, it gets worse and they grow weaker. The reason I know he's weakening here is notice she says to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he says to her, if you weave seven locks of my head. Ah, he's getting closer to the real source. Now he's up close to where the hair is. He's, in, he's now talking about his head and his hair. This isn't the one, but it's close. He's weakening. He's getting close. And she says, if you take, he says, if you take those seven locks of my head with the, you, you take them and you fasten them tight and put a pin through them, it should become, I should become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web and she made them tight with the pin. Question. How does any man sleep through that? I mean, you're taking the locks of his head, you're weaving them tight, you're pinning them down. Answer, alcohol. Answer, alcohol. You see, you'll find alcohol. If you drill deep enough, it's there. It's in the story. At least that's my guess. So he says, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He wakes from his sleep and he pulls the pen and loom and the web and he lied again. And so she says to him in verse 15, notice it. She says, how can you say I love you? Let me tell you what I'm saying right there. Because I don't, witch. I don't love you. And I'm sorry that this has even happened. And I'm out of here. And I can't take this anymore. You don't love me. And I guess I don't love you. And, and I know God's calling me. And I can't believe I'm doing this. Don't you think by now? I mean, this is the third time this woman doesn't love him. And he doesn't love her. But sensual wanderers get weak. He's, he's toast, guys. It's over. I mean, I'm like you. I'm sitting here saying, Samson, come on, you can do it. But it's not going to happen. How, do you, how can you say you love me? You've mocked me these three times. You've not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed or annoyed to death. And he told her all his heart. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me. And I shall become weak like any other man. So when Delilah knew that he told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines. And she says, Testing one, two. Oh, good, 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 good. Back in business. Does God have a sense of humor or what? I'm at the most intense part of the sermon. 
And we've got gastric juices coming out of the machine here. Wait, you know what's funny? I just thought of something. This is great. What did I say in the beginning of the message? We're not going to laugh. And God said, oh, yes, we are. <laughs> oh, they'll laugh when this noise comes out of the I guarantee you. And so are you, Eric. All right, so we've laughed. Okay. I love it. And to think this is going to be like on the podcast. I mean, you know, what, what, are, what are people going to think? All right. Then the Lord, most people cancel the service right here. They just say, it's over. We're done. I can't get you back, but I'm going to get you back. Here we go. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands, the 1,100 pieces of silver. And she made him sleep on her knees. Again, just the discreetness of the Bible. You gave me what I wanted. Now you can have what you wanted. What do men do after they get what they want? They go to sleep. And again, just the discreetness of the Bible is so precious there. It's beautiful. The Bible is beautiful. It's not, it doesn't have to get graphic. We can see in Scripture how it teaches us how, how deadly and devastating sin is. And she called a man and had him, they had, had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Now, this is really, really a hard thing for me to read because I, when I, when I've gotten into this so many times, I actually get a little angry at her when I see this. Then she began to torment him. And his strength left him. She begins to make fun of him. She was so hateful. Hey, big boy, where's your strength now? I got you. This is how it really is. Because remember with the sensual wander, people are just things. And so she says, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he wakes from his sleep and says, I, this is so sad. He says, I'll go out as at other times. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He didn't put two and two. I guess he thought he was above sin. I guess he just thought because every other time God had had had, had mercy. Had just, I guess he just thought God just would continue to put up with this. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill in the prison. Sensual wanderers grow worse and get weaker because living for pleasure pulls you in. I'm just going to have one drink. It's going to pull you into two and three and four. And then you'll have your first night where you're a little tipsy. And then eventually you'll have that one night where you, you're drunk. And then a second and a third. See, see it, there's not one alcoholic that didn't start with one drink. I'm just saying that's all. I know, I know this stirs things up. We're living in a culture that is now, even church culture, social drinking is acceptable, and we, we seem to be okay with it. I'm, I'm just going to keep on plugging away lovingly. Be careful. Be cautious. Don't get prideful about that social drinking. Alcohol pulls you in. Porn pulls you in. Well, I mean, it's not really porn. It's just like, you know, I mean, they're dressed and things. I mean, I just... It's just like models. And then it's this, and then it's that, and it's a little bit more, and it pulls you in. And then here's what's scary. It's not just women now. It's like, and, I, and again, I'll stop. But you with me? How does it get that bad? How does it get to the place where it's like some of that stuff? Well, it started with just a glance, but it pulled you in. And it kept pulling, and it never stopped pulling. And you kept wandering, and so it just got worse, and you grew weaker. Just like more calories pulls you in. Amen? It's like the first serving was so good I had to have a second. Here's my advice. If you still care, stop. That's my advice. If you still care, if you're here today and you're saying, yeah, I mean, I see it, I get it. If you're you're just there, if if you still have a little bit about you that cares, if you're still listening, if you've got me tuned in, you may not even come forward. You you, you may not even be at a place where you're ready to surrender, but, but you care. Stop. Stop while there's time. Because number five, in my last thought, it's not too late for sensual wanderers to come back home. It's never too late. It's never too late for sensual wanderers to come back home. And in some unbelievably, not weird, but 
strange way, it wasn't too late for Samson. Yes, it had a sad ending, but but listen, look at verse 22. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. That's awesome. Hey, church, his hair's growing again. If we could just keep Samson in prison long enough for him to get saved and get that chaplain by his jail cell, and if he could just get into a Bible study and come on now. I had a parent tell me this week the best thing that ever happened to my son was that he went to jail. And maybe the best thing that ever happened to Samson was he went to prison. Oh, it's sad. He got his eyes gouged out. Oh, it's terrible. And I know we're sensitive to that. And I'm with you. It hurts me. And and I hate to see this is happening. But at the end of the day, at least Samson had time to think about what he had become. Sitting in that jail cell day after day. What have I done my whole life? Oh, God, if you give me one more chance. And God gave him that chance. And though it meant his life was taken along with the Philistines, the Bible says he took more in his death than he took in his life. And at the end of the day, Samson's life was used by God one more time because Samson, though it was for just a short time, he came back home. I dare say anybody's in those kind of straits in this building. I really do. I doubt that anybody's there. I I do. I I don't know. This just seems so extreme. But if you're anywhere in between, my message to you today is come back home. If you care, stop. And then maybe you're here today and you say, well, I know somebody that's not here today. And and this is kind of the path they're headed down. And there's been some situations and some people and some abuse. And there's been, what do I do? Give them a call. Just tell them you love them and tell them you just want to know if you can have a cup of coffee this week and kind of discuss some things. I mean, it's either that or just keep letting them go and it's going to get worse. But if you call, you may save their soul from death. I like that. I mean, if I, if I, if I get involved, I might be able to be a part in saving their soul from destruction. And maybe you're here today and you just would say, well... Pastor, I, I need to trust Christ. I, I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about. This, I, I'm not sure that I have a relationship. And, and so my life has been void of, of this whole thing of God, the Lordship and what all that. And even the songs. I, I mean, I, I enjoyed listening and watching people raise their hands. And it seems like they're sincere and they are sincere. We're not perfect, though. Trust me. I sang those songs with passion, and I sincerely meant them while I was singing them. But after I sang them and read the words, I have to question really how much I meant them. And I have to ask myself, Eric, are you really totally surrendered? And and that's not a bad place to be, to to continually just examine yourself. Because Scripture tells us to do that. And when we do that often, we, we stay more focused. You ever heard of somebody watching their calories? I'm just, how'd you lose the weight? I just watched my calories. That's the same thing. How, how did you get out of that sin? I just watched myself. It's constantly, I had a bad thought. I was going to go on that site, but I called my accountability partner. I went to my small group. I was vulnerable. I said, hey guys, this week I almost messed up and I need you to pray for me. You mean you should do that? Yes, you should do that. that that's called community. That's how we, confessing your faults one to another. Well, that's good stuff. Because we're not going to condemn one another, are we? We used to. Because we used to be legalist. And we used to hide our sin and look better than everybody else. But we're not that anymore. We've been set free. Now we just say, hey, I'm in this thing with you. Oh yeah, let me tell you about the time I messed up. Really? You messed up too? Uh-huh. Want to hear about it? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But you know what I mean? It is great to just be free from having to impress everybody and and, and say things. I'm not judging. Yes, you are. The truth of the matter is, is there's still time for you to come back home. And there's time for me to come back home. And so I just give you this opportunity to respond. As we, as we sing in a moment, we'll come to the altar. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We've just got one more sermon in the series. And we'll move on. And 
you know, it's, it's, there's this window. And some of us just try to survive these series. We just try to survive them, you know. If you can just get to the next one, maybe to be like, you know, about, you know, joy or something. <laughs> if you can just get off this one, because this is so convicting. Well, that's, don't miss it. Don't, don't let it come and go. Come to the altar. Let's just get some things settled. I mean, whatever. Just maybe you come into the altar on behalf of someone else that you love, that you care about. But that's good. That's a good thing. Because we want to be a part of saving as many souls as we can. And so however it is that you need to respond, Brother Butch, myself, Doug, we're up here. We're, we're just here to pray with you, to to greet you here at the altar and to find out what the next step is. Most of the time, the next step is just prayer, really, honestly. It's just a prayer. And then we we try to get with you during the week if it's a situation where you need to talk. Obviously, this is just a short invitation, but it does give us an opportunity to know how we can pray and, and if we need to meet with you this week or in the next few weeks. So don't hesitate to come and respond and let us know how we can help and pray and meet that need. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for the opportunity to share, Lord. I'm, I got to admit, I'm glad it's over. I really am. I wasn't necessarily super excited. I was anticipating and I had some anxiety about all this. But I know, God, that it's your will that we, that we teach and preach even some of the most critical issues in our country today, the the moral failure of our nation, getting away from the word of God and, and things that we used to look at as sin that we tolerate now and even sometimes say it's, it's, it's not really sin. It's just whatever people want to do. It's just kind of how it is. And yet, God, your law, your word teaches that there's things that we need to avoid and be cautious of and be careful about. And then when we do mess up, we just need to confess get back up. So Father, I pray that you teach us and show us what we need to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, shall we?